Hey investors, welcome to the Investor Lab. My name's Goose. My name's Gabby. And today we talk about something that I know is going to be extremely impactful for you. And I can almost yep. guarantee it's going to be something you have never thought about before. And mm. the simple fact that you have most likely never really thought about this before is one of the biggest hamstrings that you are going to have to your portfolio because without knowing this, you are running a very high risk of making drastic and irreparable mistakes to your portfolio journey. Mm, what do we talk about, Goose? How to reverse engineer your financial freedom. Yeah. Now, a lot of people have this financial freedom goal, but they don't understand what it means or how to get there and what tactics, strategies, principles they need to deploy in order to get to that place. Yep. So in this episode, we really dig into what that means, um, the four kind of parameters or the four framework points that you need to understand mm -hmm. to be able to define that. And that is, what is your goal? What is your starting point? And then what is the method and what are the milestones? Mm -hmm. We didn't really go that much into the milestones. So we really break it down to three. Your goal, your starting point, your method. And then we talk about how to reverse engineer your property portfolio to achieve the outcomes you want. Yep. So how much, how to calculate the size of your portfolio or what levers you can pull to really get you where you want to go and whether cash flow is your goal or whether equity is your goal mm -hmm. and the different kind of things you can do that which is going to help you make better decisions about your portfolio along the way. Yeah, and we talked about how just how important context is from your whole strategy in analyzing specific deals or opportunities that may come up. Individually might be a good opportunity, but if it doesn't fit into your bigger strategy, then it's not suitable to you. Mm, exactly. Yeah, so just context is so important. Absolutely. So I know that this is going to be massively impactful for you because this episode is really designed to change the way you think. You know, this is not designed to give you some step-by-step um, uh, -step guide on how to do this. It's designed to encourage you to think differently in order to operate more powerfully. Mm -hmm. So this is really suited to anyone who has a desire to achieve more in their life. You may be a property investor. You may be a wannabe property investor. You may be an experienced property investor. You may be a business owner. This is probably something you haven't really considered before and I encourage you to check it out and give us some feedback. And if you enjoy this and you want to surround yourself with other like-minded people like you and uh, you know, expert advice, exclusive opportunities, workshops, masterclasses, and so, 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 so much more, then head to theinvestorlab.com.au and check out our community page. Join up. See you in there. And if you have enjoyed this, then please like, share, subscribe, and let us know. We really appreciate spending time with you each week. <laughs> so thanks so much for listening. We love you. Take care. Hello and welcome. You are listening to The Investor Lab. <laughs> Hello. Um, hello. Hello. <laughs> and my name's Goose. My name's Gabby. And if this is your first time listening. <gasps> welcome. Welcome. Hello. If it's not your first time listening, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> G'day. G'day. Hello, friends. Nice to see you. Now, Gabby, this, um, this episode is largely unplanned. But it's, um, <laughs> unplanned. But it's something that um, I really wanted to chat about because I know this is something really on people's minds. Whether they know it or not. Ooh, what is he talking about? 
reverse engineering your financial goals. Ooh. Mm. Wonderful. So I don't know that many people that actually think about it. How to actually reverse engineer it. Like what does it mean? Yeah. Like what does it actually mean? It's easy to have a have a passive income goal or some kind of financial goal, but Yeah. I wanna I wanna I wanna have a passive income, okay? Like whatever, like how much or what, whatever. Mm-hmm. Here's the point though, and this is really the paradigm that I want to explore. And again, this is largely unplanned this episode. So I really just want to use this as, a, as an opportunity to encourage people to think differently. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who I talk to, they have a financial freedom number of $100,000, right? Yep. So I want to talk about that, how to achieve that, and this is not going to be like buy this and then this. This is going to be like how to think about how to achieve that and how also to sort of work out what your number might be. Now, this is not going to be super tactical. Like we're not going to go into um, this is how you break down the spreadsheet or, or whatever. But really this is designed to be, um, yeah, to encourage, to encourage a new thinking paradigm that's going to allow you, the listener, to understand how to do this. Sound good, Gabby? Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So... There's kind of several, four, like probably like four really kind of key parts to the whole to the whole process of reverse engineering your financial freedom. There is working out what your actual goal needs to be, what your starting point is, what your method's going to be, and what the milestones are going to be along the way. Nice. Okay, so it's really simple. There's a little framework that everyone can use: your goal, your starting point, the method, and the milestone, mm-hmm. or the milestones along the way. So. Firstly, is you'll notice we start with the end in mind. So, what's your actual goal? Where are you trying to get to? Why is it $100,000? Is that enough? Is it actually $75,000? The only way you're going to be able to understand that in any meaningful way is to understand your starting point. So, these two things are intrinsically tied. Now, what that means is that you're going to need to go and master, become the master of your own financial narrative right now. So you need to really critically analyze, and this might sound boring to some people, but it's super empowering when you do it. Mm-hmm. Go through all of your expenses for the last month. Like, so create a personal budget, go through all of your expenses for the last month, and really think, and so go through, every, go print out the statements on your credit cards, your bank statements, every, every place that money goes in and out of your life, print out the statements and log your cash flow for the month. Where did all your money go? Then map out your annual cash flow. And what you may find, what you may find may upset you. You may suddenly realize that you're actually spending $7,500 a year on coffees. You might find that you're spending um, $10,000 a year on Uber Eats. Got to have them chicken wings. Yeah. Mm. We do love a good wing. <laughs> love chicken wings. <laughs> right? But these, these are the kind of things that you need to uncover. Then you can make, you can make your own decisions, right? This is no, there's no judgment here. You can make your own decisions. If you're like the priority in my life is to have $7,500 worth of coffee a year mm-hmm. and to have $10,000 worth of Uber Eats, that's the priority if that's what you want. If that's your definition of a, of a happy and successful life, then awesome. Now, there is a movement called FIRE, financial in, Financially Independent Retire Early. Now, I'm in mix. I've got mixed uh, vibes about the FIRE movement. To a large degree, there seems to be a lot of people in there that are just like, how frugal can I make yeah. my life? Yep. Right? The, the whole idea with the FIRE movement is reduce your expenses. So that reduces the barrier to financial freedom, right? which means you can achieve it a lot easier. Because if your household expenses at $200,000 a year, it's going to take you a hell of a long time to achieve that kind of freedom where you don't need to work anymore and you can work by choice. 
And that's not uncommon for, for households to have $200,000 worth of expenses, believe it or not, mm. right? Depending on where you live and, and how you spend your money and you know, car loans and stuff like that. So the whole idea with the FIRE movement is really about, um, you know, if you break it down to the, the first principles, it's really about reducing your expenses. So therefore, you reduce the amount that you need to live on. Now, you can take that to the extreme and go, well, how can I live on $15,000 a year? And therefore, I only need to earn $15,000 a year passive income and that's all good. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of extreme about the FIRE movement that I don't love because I am, I am at my heart a, a hedonist. And um, hedonistic, like by what I mean by hedonistic, is that you know I appreciate, I appreciate food and enjoyment. I I appreciate pleasure activities. I like I like that. That's these are important things in my life. What about you, Gabby? I'm becoming more so. I think I think particularly in Australia, it's very almost if you enjoy things too much, you're judged for it. So I think as you as you take more responsibility for your own financial freedom and as you mature and in that journey, you become okay with acknowledging that you like nice things. Yeah. There's a difference between liking uh, nice things and, and liking pleasurable uh, pursuits and overindulging. And this is, where, this is where hedonism is often seen as like, you know, a bad thing. And I've, been a, I've actually been a victim of uh, excessive hedonism in the past <laughs> so i've moved beyond that in my life but i think it's i think it's important to know what you want and be okay with that you know is it yeah. really is it super important and this is a personal thing is it, is it super important for you and your partner to go for a five-star dinner once a week on date night is that is that the thing and if it is awesome but just work it out this is all about just taking ownership i don't care have whatever you want do whatever you want it's up to you but understand that number now, that number for you might actually be $60,000 a year. That's, and you might define what your bare minimum. Like if, 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 if all you needed to do was say pay rent and eat and send kids to school, whatever that may be, what is the bare minimum? You've got to understand this metric too. You've got to be like, mm-hmm. what is the bare minimum? Like what is, what is the amount of money that I would need to be able to disconnect from my job? What is that minimum? Because that's, that's awesome, empowering once you understand that. That might be $50,000 or $60,000. And then you could be like, okay, that's cool. So that's my bare minimum. Do I want to live at my bare minimum for the rest of my life? Probably not. But that's what I need to achieve to have freedom. That's the difference. Freedom and then luxury are two different things. So then that's your financial freedom number is the bare minimum. Like how much, what is the minimum that you need to be able to survive for a whole year? And then you can think about, okay, well, then what kind of life do I want to live? Like how much above and beyond that would I want to have um, a few little luxuries? Like to what degree? Is it like one holiday a year? What is it? And so once you can understand those um, parameters, you've got, you've got something to work with. Then you can go, okay, well, that's fine. Okay. And what I want to be able to do is let's say, let's say it's 60000 Let's just say it's $100,000 is your goal, right? Just because it's easy maths. Um, but again, it could be 60. The lower, the better to some degree because it's going to be a lot easier to achieve and you'll be able mm-hmm. to get freedom sooner. But the reality is, let's just say it's $100,000. Then you're going to go, okay, well, how the hell am I going to achieve that? So let's say $100,000 per year is the goal. How am I going to achieve that? And then how do I superimpose that into the future? So we'll talk about that in a second. But the other thing to remember is that if you're superimposing it into the future, you need to comp- compensate for future you, right? Mm-hmm. So what does future you want? And what is the future environment going to be like? Now, if you um, adjust it for inflation, for example, you might say, well, it's actually not going to be $100,000. It might need to be $120,000, right? So it's important to think about all this stuff too so you don't find yourself short. 
right? There are, there are a number of people in the fire movement who um, during this economic downturn um, found things very difficult because they're living basically on a subsistence level. They used geographic arbitrage, which I love, to uh, optimize their ability to live with less. So, to, so what I mean by that is they may be invested in index funds and lived off the dividends, but by living in Bali and living a very cheap life, mm-hmm. they used geographic arbitrage to live off less and they used the value of the US dollar versus the buying power in, the, in Bali to have a very, very low financial freedom number. Problem was though, when the stock market crashed, and the value of their shares diminished, the dividend repayments diminished, and then they didn't have much bandwidth, mm. right? So there's, there's, there's things you need to think about there, like what, is, like what, are you, what are you trying to achieve? But anyway, this is, again, it's not to get down into tactics, but to give you some ways to think about this kind of stuff. Is this helpful, Gabby? Yeah, definitely, yep. Now, let's just say it's $100,000. Well, and let's just say that the method, so you work at that starting point, what's your, what's your break even? Where are you now? Where do you want to get to? Let's just call it $100,000 for simple maths. Um, apply this in your own personal journey, however you want. Then you can think, okay, what's the method, right? How am I going to do this? Now, obviously, um, we talk a lot about real estate. I'm not saying that's the only method, but it is the one that we are best positioned to guide people and, and, and share the narrative on. So it's absolutely not to say no shares and no businesses. There's risks uh, we both, we, we prefer real estate for this kind of thing and business, to be fair. Um, business is higher risk, higher volatility. Real estate is a lot safer and plays a lot more in the long game. So we'll talk about real estate in this case. Yep. Now, let's just say, okay, I want to I want to create $100,000 passive income from real estate in Australia. How do I do that? Have you got any ideas around that, Gabby? Just stack the cash. Stack the cash. <laughs> just stack them up. Put one top, put one property on top of another property, and yes. and get another one and put it on top of that, and just keep buying houses. Just keep it, buying put houses. Put it all on black. Just get, just keep buying houses and put it all on black. Well, that's obviously not the right way. But I wonder how many people who have started property investing have ever actually thought about this. What are mm. they trying to achieve? <laughs> because everyone's like, like growth is super important, right? We let's never, ever, ever. Uh, deride the importance of capital growth. Mm-hmm. Super important. But when you really get down to it with people and you say, why are you trying to invest in real estate? It's like, oh, I want to replace my income. Okay. Well, you can't take equity to the shops, right? So you've got to think about what is the cash flow going to be out of the portfolio. Are there better cash flow vehicles? Arguably. Mm-hmm. But most people prefer this way because they've got a, a, an alignment with it for a variety of different reasons. So if we then looked at how do we actually extract the cash flow from a property portfolio and what would I need to achieve? Everyone thinks about gross yield, but not enough people think about net yield. Now, net yield is the actual cash flow after all of your costs and expenses. Yep. So after loan repayments, after property management, after all kinds of stuff. Yep. Cash back in your pocket yep. at the end of the day. Yep. Yep. Surplus cash, cash flow, cash that you can take to the shops. Right. This is this is your passive buy income. Buy chicken wings. Yeah, buy chicken wings. So your chicken wing dollars. Right. <laughs> so the reason that I guess cash flow positive properties get such a bad rap by people who are so committed to capital growth is because of the concept. They're like, well, what are you? What you're just going to buy like six percent yield properties and just keep buying them until you've got enough money? And that, mm-hmm. my friends, is not how it's done. 
because let's let's break this down for a minute. Let's say you buy a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar property, and it yields at six percent. Now, no two properties is the same. Rates are going to be different everywhere. So, like, I can't give you like an exact number of what the net is going to be. However, from my experience analyzing deals for our clients, the average amount of net, and this is really going to come down to your loan structure and so many different things. There are so many variables here that I hesitate to put a number on it, but I will, right? If you get a 6% yielding um, $350,000 property, it is likely to, or even 5.5% or anything like that, it's likely to be between 0.5% net yield and 1.5% net yield, depending on your loan structure. It may even be slightly either side of that, depending on your loan structure and the costs associated with it, right? Yep. Depending on where it is as well. Yeah, it depends where it is. There's so many variables, but we yep. just, I'm trying to create some frameworks here for yep. benchmarks, right? Yep. So if we just said that that was, um, let's just, let's say it's 0.5%, okay? Let's say it was 0.5% net after all costs and expenses. Now, in order for you to buy enough of those properties, to get $100,000 cash flow, you would need to build a $20 million property portfolio. Now, Mm -hmm. the way to work that out, if you're playing at home, is if you know what the number here is, $100,000, you can times that by the percentage to get the um, portfolio value, or the other way you can do it is to divide. So you could say a $20 million, so a $20 million property portfolio, so 20 million, times 0.5% equals 100,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. So conversely, if you had a 1% net yield, right, and you would only need a $10 million property portfolio. Big difference, right? Yeah. So let's just say it's 1%. Let's say because rents go up over time um, and it's going, you're going to um, get arbitrage in that sense. So let's just say that. Now, how many properties at $10 million would you need to buy to get to that number? So let's say 10 million divided by 350,000. You would need to buy... 28? Yep, there we go. 28 properties. That's a lot when you think about it linearly. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where a lot of people break down. People, but, will, people will do that math and they'll see 28 and be like... Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, how are you going to go? Oh, strategy you, must be wrong then. <laughs> well, totally, right. So, the, And this is the importance of actually um, having a more principled-based uh, approach because it's correct. You're not going to achieve that. Uh, you used to be able to. I would say that you used to be able to, but lending policies were different. You know, times yeah. have changed. Yep. You know, people used to cruise around in horse and carts as well. You know, like we, things are different. Yep. Now, you, you used to be able to do that. And, of course, the, none, of this, none of everything that we're saying right now is – uh, completely, this is not hard line because you can get higher net yields and, you know, there's so many different factors depending on the price, all kinds of, so many different malleable aspects of this, but I want to give you a framework. So it might not be 28 properties, it might be 20. The, the point of the matter is that's quite difficult and quite challenging. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes, okay, well, what other levers can you pull? How can you change that from 1% net to 2% net? And this is the point of what we call the apex progression, the three tiers of property wealth. Now, when you start out in your foundational stage, you're most likely going to be aiming for something around, say, $350,000. It's going to be, um, say, 6% yield. So it's probably going to be half, one, uh, one, like half, half, half a percent net to 1% net in the first year. 
Now that will increase over time, depending on how much you borrow out of it and how much you reuse the equity, whether you do any cosmetic renovations and all kinds of, there are many different factors, of course, mm-hmm. but moving, moving the needle and moving, moving that from 0.5% net to say 2% net is what the game is all about. Now, along the way, you're going to build, you're going to be building equity. This is, this is the fun part yep. because you're going to be building wealth and equity. This is going to be where your true wealth, the legacy is going to be built. But if you want to be able to quit your job, and you know, rely on the cash flow for your property, you've got to think about that. Then it becomes about, well, if I had a 2% net yielding portfolio, I would mm-hmm. only need a $5 million portfolio to achieve $100,000 plus of income. Yep. That suddenly becomes heaps more achievable, right? It's more like 14. Well, it's not even, it's not even that many, right? If we said uh, $5 million divided by 350,000, yeah, 14. Did you say, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. No, I, you'd already worked it out. Well, because we went from 1% to 2%. So oh, yeah, awesome. So it's half. Okay, yeah, I didn't, yeah. I just, I'm still waking up. So that'd be 14 properties. Even that, even that is, seems like a pretty ambitious kind of goal, right? Yeah. Now, 10 properties in 10 years is a pretty good goal, I think. Yep. 14 properties is not unachievable by any measure, right? Yep. But it's a lot for some people. When, when the average investor uh, doesn't make it past one or two properties, it suddenly becomes pretty unrealistic for them to get to $100,000 passive. Mm-hmm. And again, we're talking t- time, inflation, all that stuff will work in your favor. So then it really becomes about, well, how do you, how do you move the needle up? Like how do you get the maximum yield out of your portfolio? Because it's really if it's cash flow is the goal, which it is for most people, equity is just a vehicle to get you to your cash flow. Mm-hmm. So to that degree, that's where strategies like granny flats, unit blocks, renovate, renovations, cosmetic renovations, all of this kind of stuff come into their own. Right, and then it's also about adjusting your LVRs. So, for example, you may do chunk deal renovate. You may do chunk deal projects to pay down the LVR of your portfolio. Right, so you don't necessarily need to keep adding to your portfolio. You can optimize your portfolio. Mm, yep. If you have, like, say, five really good assets um, that you're very happy with and good performance all around, and you want to increase the net cash flow out of that asset, there are a few things you can do. You can add value to that asset to increase the yield. And that's, as I said, like add granny flats, add a room, do a cosmetic renovation, turn it into a boarding house. There are many different ways you can do that. Or you can simply pay down your debt. Now, Mm -hmm. paying down your debt isn't just, oh, I guess I just need to work harder and do more. You can then get really strategic about how you do that. Because if you then go, okay, well, I want to pay down $50,000. I want to pay down $100,000 worth of debt every year. I want to keep those five really good assets. I want, and I want to pay down, I want to get that, I want to get my portfolio LVR down to 20%, right? So that I'm pretty much just collecting all the cash. Because if you, if you, if you, are, if you don't have a loan on a property, because your loan is the biggest cash draw, if you don't have a loan on a property, and let's just say you bought a $500,000 property and it yielded at 5%, that would produce $25,000 cash flow a year. $500,000 property yielding at 5% with, with if you just take the whole gross yield, it would give you mm-hmm. $25,000. Now, of course, you're still going to have property management and all of that kind of stuff. So you could probably round that down and say 20 grand after rates and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah, but if you, if, you, if you took like 4% average interest rate, then that's 4% of your 5% yield is gone to... Yeah. Mortgage, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And you got 1% left to pay all operating costs. Yeah, exactly right. So um, 
yeah, I, like I encourage people, like build a big portfolio. That's awesome. But don't think that many, more is the goal. Right? Mm-hmm. Work out what your goal is and re- then reverse engineer your financial freedom number. Because what you might find is that you could do more with less. That's what we call optimization. Yep. Yeah, I think, yeah, really, really zoning in, zeroing in on that net yield percentage. Because as we just showed, if, you keep, if your net yield is currently 1%, mm. if you just bring that up to 2%, you literally half the like, portfolio value that you need to reach your income goal, which yep. is huge from a small tweak. So this is kind of where, this is where tactics become relevant when they're in line with a bigger strategy. So the strategy is to increase the net yield so you do your various tactics like your value adds and your innovations and whatever to increase that, but with the view of why you are doing it. Yeah. You understand how that plays into the bigger picture. Yeah, 100%. And so there's different ways of doing that, right? So if you, if you, had, a, if you had a debt-free portfolio, that you could probably have $100,000 passive income off $2 million worth of properties, right? And that becomes even more achievable. We went from $20 million to $2 million just by changing the tactics you can apply to it. Mm. And then the way you can do that is you may you may go and do you may continue to go and do projects as a JV partner or as whatever like in many different ways you may do projects specifically in order to do chunk deals you may buy some things because you can do a um, small development a duplex development or a or a four, four, four townhouse development or just do a subdivision and sell off the land or whatever to chunk up your capital to pay down your debts to give you a more debt free perspective mm-hmm. now. There are two ways to consider what you're now. This is not the only way to do that, okay? Because another another avenue to take could be like, well, how do you expand? How do you get the most amount of capital growth? Would it be across five assets or would, would it be across 20? Well, there's, um, there's an argument to say, and this is something that, you know, I've mathematically shown in the past. If you have 20 assets at $500,000 and they all increase by, Five percent a year. That is going to give you more capital growth than five five hundred thousand dollars assets that increase at five percent a year. So it really depends on what you're trying to achieve because there's growth strategies and cash flow strategies. Mm. Now we like to target properties where you're going to get cash flow and growth, and you can also manufacture equity and all of this kind of stuff. It's all about creating the right uh, ecosystem to get the right results. But really, you got to understand what you're trying to achieve. This is the point. Right. Always, yeah. Because if you if your if your goal is to have a ten million dollar net worth, then a uh, cash flow strategy is not really it's not the main goal. But if your goal is how do I get the most amount of cash flow out of my portfolio so I can quit my job sooner, mm-hmm. then that would be a different way you'd need to think about it. The point of this is I really just wanted to expand the way people think about how to reverse engineer their financial freedom number. So firstly, understand. Um, where you are and where you want to get to. So yep. what your actual goal is, what your starting point is, how you're going to get there and then how you're going to know if you're making it along the way. Yeah. Makes sense? I don't know if this imagery is helpful, but I picture that as a bridge like over a river or something. It's like, where are you now on this side of the river? Mm. Where are you going on the other side of the river? What's the method? You like how, how are you building the bridge over that? And like what are the milestones? It's kind of like the pillars along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and understanding what you're trying to do and using um, using this reverse engineering method will mm-hmm. dictate what types of deals you do. Because yep. I get a lot of people asking me all the time, 
um, they'll find subdivision projects, for example, and be like, Goose, what do you think of this? Should I buy it? Is it a good deal? And I'll be like, yeah, I mean, it's a great deal. Like, it, like you know, for, I'll Black check. and white, yes, good deal. Yes, yeah. But ostensibly, it is a good deal. Yes, it is in a good area and there'll be good growth and the land value is good and the price is good and you can subdivide it. But like, wait, is this the thing that you need to get you to where you want to go? Like, I'm not sure about that. Mm. And that's the real question. Yep. Yeah, because if the question is, how can I get $100,000 out of my portfolio sooner? Then you need, to, you need to ask better questions to get better answers. And simply asking, is this a good deal or not? It's not going to answer that because, yeah, I mean, as I've said before, just because like buying, getting a half price pair of size 15 shoes when you've got size nine feet, it does not make it a good deal just because you've got them half price. Yeah, context is so important. Yeah, 100%. Anyway, I hope this has been beneficial. Um, Let's wrap it up. I th- hope that's given people a framework. If you want to know more about that, then hit us up. Let us know. You can find us all over Facebook and the internet and all kinds of places, or you can just simply head to theinvestorlab.com.au, join the community and have conversations with us directly about all this kind of stuff and other like-minded people who are in a similar position, freedom seekers, wealth creators, who are all making big, proud, powerful steps towards their goals. So. Yep. Join us in there. We'll see you on the inside. Bye.